series between the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. Okay, take it away. On behalf of George, George Watson, and myself, this is Fred Fowler bidding you all a good afternoon from Kaminsky Park, the home of the White Sox in Chicago, to bring you this, the second game of the city championship series between the White Sox and the Cubs being played this afternoon in Kaminsky Park. The game will not start for about five minutes, but we have time to tell you about the crowd in the stands and also to give you the lineup for the game to be played this afternoon. Looking up in the first box up here, we would say that there are approximately 15 to 18,000 fans in the stands, both in the upper deck and in the boxes below, and it's a bright, sunny day. The fielders clubs are all out on the field down there, all ready for the players to go out, and they've already warmed up and have left the field with just the pitchers warming up down in the bullpen right now. So without more ado, we'll give you the lineup for the game to be played this afternoon. For the Cubs to come to bat first, the land is going to play center field. Cabaretta, third base. Herman, second base. Demarine, right field. Hack, third base. Hartnett, catching. Jurgis, shortstop. And Lon Warnicke will do the pitching. For the White Sox, Radcliffe, left field. Rosenthal, center field. Hoff, right field. Venora, first base. Appling, shortstop. Hayes, second base. Dyke, third base. Sewell, catching. And Monty Stratton, pitching. The field announcer is just giving the lineup that we have just given you, and the fans are continuing to pour in. In fact, there's a goodly crowd that's already coming in. As we look out over the diamond here, or incidentally, the umpires are just coming in, the four umpires for this afternoon, and they are Stewart, Barr, McGowan, and Ormsby. Stewart is at first base, Barr is at third base, and Ormsby at the plate. Now taking out the balls and giving them to the catcher, or rather to the umpire bar behind the umpire Ormsby, behind the plate, filling his pockets with them. And incidentally, we're going to tell you that the grandstand is sprinkled with a goodly supply of overcoats this afternoon. You know, uh, did we say something about football starting? That's right, it's football season right now. The baseball season is practically over with just the city series to wind up the season. And the overcoats are coming more into prominence with the mufflers showing up here and there. There's a very colorful crowd out in the stands this afternoon. There's a very mild, moderate, gentle wind blowing. In fact, I should say it was coming very gently from the west to southwest. West to southwest. Is that about right? Yeah, about southwest, uh, George remarked. The breeze seems to be coming from the back of the box here, so it is blowing in a northeasterly direction, which will help if the ball gets above these stands and carrying it into that center field bleacher out there, which is about 440 feet. Yes, uh, it's only been one ball ever hit in there. It'll have to be a little bit stronger wind than it is today to carry it really into it. Nonetheless, it is a perfect baseball day. It's one of those days that can be adapted to almost any sport, whether it's baseball, football, or whatever it happens to be. And there go the White Sox onto the field to take their position for the first half of the first inning. The White Sox all dressed in their white uniforms, and the visiting Cubs will be in their gray visitor's uniforms this afternoon. 
And now the game is just about to start. And so for the play-by-play for the first few innings, here he is, George Watson. All right, George. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're underway for the second game in the city series between the Sox and the Cubs. Yesterday, of course, you know, the White Sox came north to Wrigley Field and taught the Cubs a few lessons in baseball. Had a score of 5-1. Vernon Kennedy allowing only four hits in the entire ballgame, which was a crackerjack ballgame to watch. Radcliffe's home run was something to uh, really get a kick out of. The boys dropping home one after another. Our pitchers warming up now. Marty Stratton pitching for the White Sox with Luke Sue behind the plate, and the first man at bat is Augie Gillan. Marty Stratton, a tall stringer out there. Taking the rosin bag, goes down his cab, getting the signs from Luke Sewell, and the ball game is about to begin. Take it. On behind him. Get in the signal and take body. Man go on. And here it is. The first pitch. And ball one. Ball two on Billy Hammond. Ball two and strike one. 
pick, the pitch. Another one of those underhanded curves. Look sharply across the plate. Back one. Thank you. 
and the best. And he holds a sharply hit ball down to Billy Herman at second, and it develops into a two-bagger. That ball took a nasty hop. It turned right off of Billy Herman's... That, that ball will be called a hit. A ball that, that it looks like Billy could feel, but it took a sharp bounce off his shoe, and it's called a hit. And Lou Kathleen closed up at second base. Ball bounded high right out into the right field. And another run in, so it's three to nothing for the Sox. All short and third base on that two-backer. Which brings us to bat, Jackie Hayes. One ball. Hayes, the hitter. And he, now, just a little down to down that went foul out into the third base coaching box. Ball one and strike one on Jackie Hayes. And one out. One out and three runs in for the White Sox. Marky getting a sign. And the pitch. Luke Gatling taking quite a lead off second base. Ball two and strike one. He stands up at the plate very much like Luke Gatling, about the same stance. And strike two. Ball had a funny hop. Jackie Hayes took a wild swing at it and missed it a mile. Ball two, strike two on Jackie Hayes. Luke Appling on second base, one out. And the score is 3 to nothing for the White Sox. Here's the pitch. Gabby Hartman's calling for the umpire. <laughs> he got that ball, his right hand went up. But it so happened it was ball three. Ball three and strike two on Jackie Hayes. Appling taking quite a lead off second. And here is the pitch. He gets a hold of one. It's a high fly out into center field. He's got the run for it. Center fielder came in for that. Ogie Galan came in for it, but Billy Herman went back and took it just about midway between the second base and the center field bleachers. So it's two outs. Jackie Hayes slide out to Billy Herman, and manager Jimmy Dykes is at bat. Score, three to nothing for the White Sox. And two outs. Luke Appling still on second base. Jimmy Dykes at bat. Strike one on Jimmy. Right over the heart of the plate, about letter high. Still the second half of the first inning. Strike two on Jimmy Dykes. Two out. Happening on second. Strikes at bat. And two strikes on manager Jim. And he struck out. Went down swinging. That ends the first half, or the last half of the first inning. Fred Ladies and gentlemen, there's some half, half, two hits, and one man left on base. And now, ladies and gentlemen, just for the afternoon, we didn't have to, but this afternoon, it is our pleasure to bring to you that ace, ace, that dean of sports announcers, 
The man amongst men, that outstanding man. Here he is, in the flesh, himself, Hal Cotton. Hey, can I get my head in his boots after all of that? <laughs> no. Ooh, man. Hey, George, what kind of a system do you use down here? Oh, just, you know. You're terrific. This is another George. This is Watson. Gee, Watson. Oh, that's yours. I see. That's the smaller system. Well, I see I've got a lot of competition. How'd, how'd things go yesterday? Here, I thought I was going to have a vacation. Here I am back to work again. No golf. No golf. No golf. Well, anyway, it's worth looking at, no matter what way you look at it. And going into the second inning... The Cubs are at bat, the White Sox leading three to nothing, and we're bearing down with, let's see, who's at bat? Frank Demery, the first man up there, and Stratton starts to wind up the pitch, the first one throws, and it's a fastball inside across the weight for ball one. One ball called. That's just Watson sitting down in his usual quiet manner. And there's ball two, it's a fast one inside, and with Demery had to slip away from it to keep from getting hit. Still picks it up, looks it over, and calls for another one. We jump by arms, he tosses him, immediately throwing the other ball out of play. And Sewell stands there, rubs the old shine off, throws the ball back out to the pitcher. Sutton has it, and also does a little rubbing up on his own hook back of the bomb. It's two or nothing, two balls, and no strikes on Demery. First man back to the Cubs in the first half of the second. And there's strike one, a beauty down the middle across the letter. Strike, let it go by without offering at it. And the count is two balls and one strike. Two and one. Here's the next one, a drive into left field. Radcliffe comes in nicely, though, and makes the catch for the first out in the second inning. The ball was well hit and curving a little bit toward the line, but Radcliffe came in. He was playing clear out to the wall and made the catch easily for the first out in the second inning. One out, and Stanley Hack, up third baseman. A left-handed hitter, tall, slim boy, steps up there to the plate. Hack at that. And he takes the first one and slips by wide across the knees for ball one. One ball called. Throws again, and there's a ball inside and low. The count is two and nothing. Two balls and no strike. Stratton goes back, uses the rising back, steps on the slab once more. Winds up and pitches a high ball outside for ball three. And it's three and nothing on Hack. Three balls and no strike. Three and nothing to count with a pitcher waiting out there again. Stands there with his back to the plate, rubbing up the ball. And then turns around, walks slowly onto the mound once more. As the sign winds up and pitches and the hitter gets ball four. It's over the plate but too low. And Hack gets the base on ball to put him on first base with one out in the second inning for the Cubs. And Gabby Hartnett, Cubs catcher, gets a hand from the Cubs fans and a big boo from the Sox fans as he steps up there. Gabby was protesting before on the air by Warnicke, claiming only one run should have come in when the ball that was thrown by Warnicke went into the canvas down the left field line. And the Sox fans, of course, uh, didn't like that at all and are telling him in no mean language every time he moves around, which is the old city rivalry, boys, the way it should be on both sides of the field. Sutton throws the first one to Gabby, who takes it for a ball. It's over the plate, but too low. One ball called. Johnny Corden coaching down at first base, making all sorts of wild gestures to indicate that he thinks Gabby ought to get a hold of one. Sutton throws again, and Leo puts away to take ball two. It's inside, drops out of Sewell's glove. And Luke picks it up, throws it back to the pitcher. Hayes dashed over to cover second, but Hack held first as the ball drops practically out to catch his feet. 
Two and nothing at the count. Two balls and no strike. And here is the next one. A bounder with Stratton knocked down. He raced over towards shortstop to get it. But it's too late. And Gabby beats it out for a base hit. Putting cup runners on first and second. With one out in the second inning. And Johnny Gill. Here's a bet. Hard smash right back at Stratton. Who made a courageous effort to get it. Knocking it down with his bare hand. It rolled over towards the shortstop. Naturally with the ball hit straight through the box. Hapling was carrying for second. I didn't have time to stop and shift into the infield to get the ball. Gabby beat it out for a base hit. And Cub Runners are on first and second with one out of the second inning. And Johnny Gill, Husky left-handed hitter up there. Sewell suddenly calls time and asks for the pitcher to throw a couple to make sure that uh, his hand's all right after stopping that one. Jimmy Dykes goes over to talk to him also. Bondi seems to think it's okay. However, they're taking no chances. And Sugar Kane has started to warm up down the left field bullpen just to be ready in case that uh, Monty does have trouble with controlling that ball. You know, that's liable to numb the fingers and make it a little tough. But he's thrown a couple and seems to think he's all right, so we're ready to go again. Monty's all set now. It throws. And Johnny follows the ball down past first base. Caroms against the stand, bounds out toward the left field line. Wally Stevenson warming up French in the right field bullpen for the Cubs. Runs in to get the ball. Umpire Stewart takes it and throws it all the way into the screen. Now Stratton swings around. He's ready once more. Throws and Gill lines the ball into right field for a base hit. Hobbs is coming in on it. The runner from second is scoring. The runner from first, Gabby, who isn't very fast on his feet, stops at second. Single to right by Gill. Driving in hack to make the score three to one in favor of the White Sox. And leaves Cub runners on first and second with one out. One run home in the second inning. And Bill Jurgis is back. Jurgis the shortstop at the plate. Right-handed hitter stands there waiting as Stratton gets his time. And the hitter hits the ball, a slow bounder back to Hayes, who scoops it up, looks at the Appling, he throws the first, and it's a double play, a good fast double play. Hayes to Appling to Venura for the second and third outs in the first half of the second inning, ending the inning with one run, two hits, and one man left on base for the Cubs. And the Score is 3-1 in favor of the White Sox. White Sox is bad in the last half of the second inning with Sewell, Luke Sewell, the White Sox. Got to the first man at best. Finally calls for the ball and grabs it. He had to get it because 
neither Demery or Galland could get in quick enough to reach it. And so Billy Herman makes the catch pretty well out into right center, having to go a long way to get it for the first out in the second inning. And Monty Stratton gets a swell hand from the fans as he comes walking out of the dugout and up there toward the plate. Stratton at bat with one out in the second inning for the White Sox. He scores three to one in favor of the White Sox. And Warnicky gets the sign, starts to wind up. It is, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike to count. Warnicky waits there again, winds up once more. And throws, and the hitter takes a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. And it's two strikes. Two strikes on stretch. Again, the pitcher throws, and it's ball one. It's over the plate for two low. The count is one ball and two strikes on Monty. One and two with the pitcher ready again. Starts to wind up once more. Throws, and the hitter swings it about her down to Jurgis, who comes over fast, scoops it up nicely, throws the first, and Stratton is out for the second out in the second inning. For the second inning for the White And Riprat, and Riprat, lead off man, and left fielder. Steps up there to the plate, up there to the plate. Rats up and bat. Winds up, throws, and Radcliffe takes a strike over the heart of the plate. He's up pretty well, although he's loosened up in the first inning when they got busy on him. He's loosened up too much. The next one to follow it up, ground back of the plate for strike two, making it two strikes on the ripper. Two strikes on Radcliffe. Two out in the second inning for the shot. They're leading the Cubs three to one. Two out in the second inning for the two. Warnke winds up again now, throws, and it's a ball. It's over the plate for too low in the county. is one ball and two strikes. On Radcliffe. One and two the count. One and two. Puts ready once more. He's winding up. Throwing to the ball out to right center to make the catch for the third out. Three out. The ball was mighty well hit. And Demery had to race back toward right center out in front of the scoreboard. He got that ball, although still within about 20 or 25 feet of the Scoreboard, so it's no runs, no hits in the second inning, and at the end of the second inning, the White Sox are leading the Cubs by a score of three to one. Well, Fred, you've got something to say here? I have, Hal. This baseball presentation featuring Hal Cotton is coming to you as a presentation of the Voice of Labor. WCFL, Chicago. All right, Hal, it's yours. Well, all right, I got it. In fact, I had it all the time. I was right over your shoulder. <laughs> They got you out here in the cold now, Fred. You don't sit down there taking it like you did taking it easy in that air-cooled studio in that hot weather. Remember that, George? Oh, boy. What are you moaning about? You used to sit here. Look at what he's got on today. One coat, one sweater, another sweater, another coat. <laughs> and I can remember when he used to sit here and once in a while he would peel off that sock uh, shirt. <laughs> Here we go. Warnicky gets out in the third inning. He got a nice hand as he came up there. Pitcher winds up, throws, and Lon swings it a ball down to Dyke's back at third base. Jim gets it, arches the ball across the diamond, and Warnicky is out for the first out in the third inning. One out in the third inning for the Cubs. And Augie Galan, the Cubs center fielder, steps up there. The leadoff man is back. Stratton stands there, getting his side, winds up, and pitches. And here's a high fastball inside for Paul Watt. One ball called. Two 
suddenly walks out into the infield with a ball this time before throwing it back to Stratton. Comes back behind the plate again. And Marty steps on the slab once more. Starts to wind up again and pitches the hitter takes ball two. It's a curveball down by the knees. And the count is two and nothing on Augie. Two balls and no strikes. Up in the last two innings has shown an inclination to wake this pitcher out. And there's a strike curving towards the hitter. Stayed over the inside corner a little above the knees to run the count two and one. Two balls and one strike on Galan. Augie slips the dirt aside, then steps up to the plate. Starts to wind up, throws, and he leans back to take ball three inside across the shoulders. So it's three balls and one strike on Galant. Augie batting left-handed as he always does against right-handed pitching weight. Stratton winds up, throws, and the hitter swings at a high fly to right field. Hot jobs in easily. He's waiting for it. Has it, and it's two out in the third inning. Two out in the third inning for the Cubs, and Phil Cavaretta. The Cubs first baseman, left-handed hitter also, steps up there to the plate. Cabretta, Pat, Stratton on the slab. Getting inside, starts his wind-up. And throws on the hitter, swings it a high fly out into short center field. Rosendahl coming in fast, happening, going out there, and Luke makes the catch nicely. Oh, he was going and still had his back to the infield as he caught that ball dropping out in front of him over his shoulder to make a nice play for the third out. And it's no runs, no hits in the third inning for the Cubs. It's score remaining 3-1 to one in favor of the White Sox. Sox at bat in the last half of the third inning. The first White Sox hitter, Larry Rosenthal, who seems to be the big shot in the attack for the Sox so far, although Appling is also keeping up with him in the hit department. He's one that's made three hits in the two games. Taken. Let's take a look to make sure. Yesterday... Rosenthal had two hits and four times at bat. Now Appling had one hit and two times at bat. He had the two walks. That's, I knew their percentage was the same. So Rosenthal now has three hits in the series. And Appling two, as far as the White Sox are concerned. Oh, Lucius Luke showing it's no luck that he was up there leading both leagues and hitting. Last half of the third inning, Rosenthal up that plate. Husky left-handed hitter, who from all prospects should be one of the real rookies of the league year next summer when he gets the first full season. He gets the first pitch to fly to left field. Gill is going back, grabs for the ball, and makes a great backhanded catch of it. <laughs> the only trouble was he wouldn't have had to make a great backhanded catch of it if he judged it right in the first place. <laughs> Johnny went a racing way back there to the wall, but he was running almost in the wrong direction. And finally, at the last minute, he veered over toward the foul line and made a one-handed backhanded stab of that long drive and held on to it for the first out in the third inning. And now Hoss at bat swings the first pitch to foul it up into the second deck and a bounce clear back out into the field. And it's one strike on Hunt. One strike to count. She winds up again, throws, and Mule swings and follows the ball off the end of the bat. It just missed Venura, dashed over and hits the stand to the left of the plate and rolled back out in the field. Zeke gets it and rolls it over to the fat boy who decides it should go into the screen, not the bench. Rolls it over to the announcer down there. So it's two strikes. Two strikes on Hart. With a pitcher waiting there again, he winds up. 
And throws and Mule takes a wide one low for ball. And the count is one ball and two strikes on Hart. Warnicky gets the ball back from Hartnett. And they're getting his sign. He's winding up. And throws and the hitter swings to high fly out into left field. The left fielder Gill starts in on that, then changes his mind, backs up a little, and has that one easily for the second out. So it's two out in the third inning for the White Sox, and Banura is at bat. Deke Manura up there with two out in the third inning for the White Sox. Warnicky throws the first one as a strike over the inside corner, waist high. One strike on Zeke. One strike at the count. Pitch waiting out there again. Stands there getting his sign. He winds up once more. And throws and the hitter swings and misses a fastball for strike two. That makes it two strikes on Bonura. Two outs to the Sox in the third inning. White Sox leading the Cubs three to one. Ready again, winds up, throws, and it's over the plate for too low for ball two, or ball one, rather. The count is one and two, one ball and two strikes on Big Z. One and two the count. Warnke waiting for the sign, has it, winds up again. Throws, and the hitter takes ball two, and Hartnett wags his head at Warnke as though to say that ball didn't go where he expected it to. Throws it back to Lon, flips the glove up over his wrist. Throws the ball up a little bit, uses the rosin bag, and comes back on the slab. Count of two balls and two strikes on Venora. Warnke again winds up, throws, and Zeke gets the third ball. That bird just barely missed the outside corner across the knees. And so Gabby takes the ball to look it over. Can't find anything wrong with it. Throws it back to Dick. Warnke wipes his hands dry, looks over the boys out there in the field. And uh, throws the next one high and inside for ball four, giving Zeke a base on ball. Well, well, well. He had two strikes on him and then threw four consecutive bad ones. So Benora gets a walk. And he's on first base with two out in the third inning. And Luke Appling at bat. Lucius Luke up there. still going like a streak. Warnicky seems to have a sign. He's ready to pitch. And throws... And it's inside and low for ball one. One ball called. Five consecutive bad ones that Warnicky's thrown out there. Four after getting two strikes on Benora to walk deep. And now one on Appling. So it's one ball called with a pitcher waiting there again. Justice Cap swings around as he gets the sign. There's a stretch to first base. Then throws over there, the runner just barely slipped back ahead of the throw, and it was pretty doggone close. Zeke wasn't expecting that, and uh, had a pretty big lead, so it had to slide back feet first to get in there. One ball called, and the pitcher is ready now to pitch to Appling again, still watches the runner, but pitches, and Luke gets an easy bounder down to Billy Hammond, who gets it, throws the first base, and it's three out. No runs, no hits, one man left on base. In the third inning for the White Sox, and the score is still 3-1. to one. In favor of the White Sox at the end of the third inning. Now, well, I guess they got somebody else down there because Fred's out here. But at any rate, it's the end of the third inning. So if you want some scores of what's going on in that World Series game, we return to the studio. 
And here we are back in the studio to tell you that the Yankees are having a field day at the Polo Grounds in New York. Schumacher started out and was knocked out of the box, to be followed by Smith, who was promptly also knocked out of the box. And the right-hander Dick Kaufman has finally taken a Smith's place as the giant pitcher. Lazari Homer with the bases filled for the Yanks in the first half of the third inning. The score is now 9-1 to in favor of the Yanks as we come to the close of the first half of the third inning. That's all the scores now, so back to Hal Totten and Comiskey Park. Back at the ballpark for the fourth inning. The first man at bat for the Cubs is Billy Herman, and he follows the first pitch up against the front of the second deck of rope, bubbing to the right of the plate for strike one. One strike on Bill. Stratton winding up again. Throws and the hitter takes a high one wide for ball one. So it's one ball and one strike on Herman. White Sox leading three to one in the fourth inning. Stratton waits out there again. Has the side. He starts to wind up. Throws and the hitter takes the ball inside across the chest. And it's two balls and one strike on Billy Herman. Two and one the count. Two and one is the count, and the hitter swings again to miss a high pass ball inside for strike two. And it's two balls and two strikes on Billy Herman. Two and two the count. Stratton throws again, and Bill swings to hit the ball. Dyke takes it to his left, throws hard to first, and Herman is out easily for the second out in the fourth inning. Oh, wait a minute. First out in the fourth inning. I'm getting ahead of myself because I just started to look back. Herman has been completely stopped by the start pitchers in the two games so far. He got a walk in the sixth inning yesterday, but hasn't been on base yet today in two tries. And Demery is at bat. Frank watched the first one come over the heart of the plate, waist high for a strike. One strike on Demery. And the next one's wide and low for ball one. So the count is one ball and one strike. One and one the count. The hitter follows this next one into the second deck down in front of us, a little to our right. And it's one ball and two strikes. One and two on Demery. Stratton throws once more. Frank gets another ball high and wide, making it two balls and two strikes. Two and two to count. Monty goes back to use the rod bag this trip, then comes back onto the rubber once more. And they're getting a sign. Starts to wind up. And pitches on the hitter swings the high foul going into the stands back at first base. Menorah comes over in his, uh, yeah, what pose is that? Number seven, that one with his hand in the air as he comes over there. But anyway, he was shading his eyes in the sun. And the uh, ball landed pretty well back in the seats out of his reach. It's still two balls and two strikes. One, two on Frank. And he hits the next for another foul into the stand to the right of the plate. Misses the second deck, goes into the lower. Two balls and two strikes. Run to the count. Two 
And he hits the next a high bounder, and Mr. Dyke grabs for it, but it takes a high bounce. A nasty one hits his glove. Rounds up back of uh, Appling and the runner is safe at first base on what I imagine is a hit. Because it took a very, very bad hop just as it was about to get there, yeah. It's a base hit for Demery. Puts Frank on first base and one out in the fourth inning. And Stanley Hackett back. Stratton gets ready to pitch the first one, throws. And Stan hits the ball hard out into left center. Rosenthal dashes over there and makes a very, very nice running catch. And throws the ball into second base to chase the runner back to first. For some reason or other, they didn't have Hack figured just right there, I'm afraid, because Rosenthal was playing in dead center field instead of left center, where they usually play Stan. As a result, he had to do a terrific lot of running to get to that ball and make a sensational catch, but Hack hit the ball right in his usual groove. And now Hartnett takes the first pitch behind inside for ball one. One ball called. Emery on first base, two out of the fourth inning. One ball called on Hartnett. Two looks the ball over, throws it back out to Stratton. Marty ready again throws. Gabby hits the ball on the line and Appling leaps into the air to make a one-handed catch. And it's three out. Luke Appling leaps high into the air to make a one-handed stab. That what looked like a sure line drive that time. And the White Sox defense again is pulling this club along. Because Mr. Stratton has not been especially a better pitcher than Warnicke. But he's had much the better support, particularly in the case of Warnicke himself. So it's no runs, one hit, one man left on base. In the fourth inning for the Cubs, score is still 3-1 to one in favor of the White Sox. Sox is bat on the last top of the fourth with Jackie Hayes, the first man up. He's been out there warming up with Ken O'Day. Hartnett standing right back at Ken. And here is Jackie Hayes walking up there at the plate to be the first man at bat in the fourth inning. Hayes up there. game goes up, which shows one of those old Yankee innings. (laughs) And here's a wide one low for ball two, and the count is two and nothing on Jackie Hayes. First man at bat in the fourth inning for the White Sox. You're again winding up throws, and it's a high one inside for ball two. Rather over the inside corner across the chest for strike one. Cut and look at the plate, not out that scoreboard. That isn't going to help any. <laughs> two and one, and there's strike two. The hitter follows the ball back to the screen, and the count is two balls and two strikes. Two and two, the count. 
Two and two with the pitcher ready once more. Again, starts to wind up, throws, and Jackie follows this ball into the stand to the right of the plate. And it's two and two, two balls and two strikes still on Jackie Hayes. Ernie? Well, City Series Ernie's here. Uh-huh. How are you doing, Ernie? Oh, he looks all right. Two and two is the count, and Hayes swings to the next hit, a high foul to the right of the plate. Cabaretta's coming in from first base and makes the catch just about halfway between first base <laughs> and the bench and then he threw the ball to Hartland who threw it back clear past him and it goes on down the right field line where one of the boys from the bench gets it and throws it on in and Jimmy Dyke steps up there to the plate Strikes up there at the plate with one out of the fourth inning. Warnicky starts to wind up, throws, and Jim swings, hit a high bounder. Jurgis backs up and goes to his right a little, takes the ball, throws the first. Everett had made a swell stretch into the infield. He got that ball just off the ground and way into the infield, but strikes it out for the second out. That makes it two out of the fourth inning for the start, and Luke Sewell is at back. Sewell up there at the plate. But two out of the fourth inning for the White Sox. So the first one, Luke takes a good strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike on Sewell. Warnicky again starts to wind up. Throws and the hitter takes strike two. Luke doesn't like that and slaps the bat on the ground a second and turns his back on the umpire. Oh, just barely knee high. It seemed to be over the heart of the plate. Luke must have thought it was a little bit low. So it's two strikes on Sewell with the pitcher winding up again. He throws, and the hitter takes a ball. It's over the plate, but this time it was too low, and the count is one ball and two strikes on Luke. White Sox leading three to one, last half of the fourth inning. Warnicky again winding up, throws, and it's ball two, wide and low. So it's two balls and two strikes. Two and two on Luke. And the hitter starts to swing at the next, but he tried to stop, but he went on through with it, striking out for the third out. Tried to stop that swing, but the ball was started, started around too hard, and he couldn't pull up on it. And so he strikes out for the third out in the fourth inning. No runs, no hits. In the fourth inning for the Sox. And the score is still 3-1 to one in favor of the White Sox. Cubs coming to bat in the first half of the fifth inning. With Johnny Gill, the first man up. <laughs> Should I shoot this red hot before I eat it, George? You think it'd be safer? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem to be particularly alive. <laughs> This one tastes pretty good, I'll guarantee you. I wonder how I saw it down when I saw the mouthful. You want me to work this?
Well, that mouthful was good. I don't know when I'll get back the next one. I'm working here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll hit the first pitch, an easy bounder down to Hayes, who gets it and throws the first base. And uh, Johnny is out for the first out in the fifth inning, bringing Bill Jorgis to bat. Stratton winds up now, throws the first one, and Jurgis swings, hit a hard bounder down to Appling, who gets it nicely. Throws the first, and Jurgis is out easily for the second out. That makes it two out in the fifth inning for the Cubs. And the next man up there, Warnicky, the Cubs pitcher, is walking slowly up from the bench. Just a nice hand for Stan. It looks very much as though that very costly throw of his may mean the ball game if something doesn't happen, because since then he gone along in great style, only one scratch hit being made off him. And first pitch to Warnicky is a wide one for a ball. Stratton waits there for the next sign, has it. He's winding up. Throws and Dick gets ball two. It's inside across the way. And the count is two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Warnicky. Stratton winding up, throws once more, and he gets that one over the outside corner, letter high for a strike. And it's two balls and one strike. On Warnicky. Two out for the Cubs in the fifth. White Sox leading three to one. There's ball three, a wide one low, and it's three balls and one strike on Warnicky. Three and one the count. Getting the wind up pitch and the hitter hits the ball, a slow bounder down to Dykes who got the throws the first base, and Warnicky is out for the out. So He's Appling and Dykes all had a hand in retiring beside that time on throws to Benura. No runs, no hit. In the first half of the fifth inning. And the White Sox still lead the Cubs by a score of 3-1. Sox is bad in the last half of the fifth with Monty Stratton, the pitcher, the first man up. There goes another mouthful. <laughs> This kid's been pitching since he got back in that lineup. After all the operations and things, it begins to look more and more as though the illness that caused him all that stay in the hospital and the long layoff to recover his strength and get back in shape may have cost the White Sox not only second place, possibly more, because he certainly has been a great pitcher since he got back in there as he was before he was taken ill. Stratton at bat, Warnicky's first pitch of the strike over the heart of the plate, way high. One strike. On Stratton. And Warnicky winds up, throws again. Monty swings and hits the ball hard. And Herman makes a great backhanded stop back at second base to get the ball, throws the first. Cavaretta drops it, and the runner is safe. Herman made a wonderful stop back at second base. A great backhanded stop through the first. The throw is out there. There's an error charge, but they haven't told us yet who the is charged with it, whether Cavaretta for dropping the ball or Herman on the throw. The error is charged to Cavaretta for dropping the ball. It was a marvelous play by Herman, but Bill dropped the ball. So Stratton's on first base, nobody out of the fifth. 
Radcliffe hits the bounder down to Jurgis, who gets it, flips it to Billy Herman. He was ready to throw to first, but the ball had been hit so slowly that Radcliffe was practically at first base, and Bill held the ball, letting Radcliffe reach first without a throw. He didn't have a chance of getting his man. So Radcliffe's on first base with one out of the fifth inning, and Rosenthal is at bat. Warnicky watches first base throws, and the hitter takes the curveball wide and low for ball one. Pitcher ready out there again. Throws, and Rosenthal fouls the ball back into the front of the second deck down below us, and it bounds back down into the field. It's one and one. One and one is the count now on Rosenthal, left-handed hitter. Warnicky waits there again for the sign. Swings around as he gets it. And pitches on the hitter, swings it along, foul, way down the left field line, back underneath the second deck, and he's one ball and two strikes. He steps up onto the slab again, watches the plate, it's the first and pitches, and the hitter hits the ball out through into left field for a base hit. Jurgis, who was playing pretty well to his left, couldn't get a hold of it because he had a long way to go, and as a result, the ball goes through into left field for Rosenthal's second hit of the day and fourth hit of the series. So the White Sox have runners on first and second with one out in the fifth inning, and Muehlhaas at that. Warnicky ready now. Back at second base on throws, and Haas takes a wide one and was curving toward the plate, but didn't curve soon enough. And it's ball one. One ball call. Warnicky throws again for ball two. It's wide and low, and the count is two and nothing on Haas. Two balls and no strike. White Sox runners on first and second, one out in the White Sox are leading the Cubs by a score of three to one. And the pitcher stands there waiting again. Swings right, takes another look back at second base. Then throws and it's a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high to make the count two and one on heart. Two balls and one strike. Two balls and one strike. The pitcher waiting again. Warnicky has the sign, steps on the slab. Back at second. And throws and the hitter swings. Hit a foul. It's just up onto the roof of the stand above third base. Almost hit the front of the roof, but just eased up over it. And it's two and two. Two balls and two strikes on Haas. Old time smelling that pipe, George. Mm-hmm. I find I can still stand it. I don't know. 
Two and two is the count. The throws again and the hitter swings to follow the ball back to the screen. It's still two balls and two strikes on hot. Remember, White Sox runners on first and second. One out of the fifth inning. White Sox leading by a score of three to one. Warnicky used the rod back again. Rubs up the ball. Around the runners, then steps onto the slab. And is getting his time. And pitches and the hitter hits the ball hard toward left field. Jurgis comes up with it nicely, throws the second. Herman throws the first. Completes a double play, although Cabaretta had to make a sensational reaching catch away out to the right. A very fast. And long double play. One of those plays that had to be made lightning fast or had been too late. And Cabaretta redeemed himself that time after having let the first man get the base by dropping a throw. He made a very fine play to reach way out to the right and get Herman's hasty throw to first to complete that one. So it's no run, one hit, one error, and one man left on base in the last half of the fifth inning. And the score is still 3-1. to one. In favor of the White Sox at the end of the fifth inning. Now, I think, Fred, you've got a little message to say again, huh? Yes, I have, Al Totten. You know, you've been saying that things were coming across the letters all afternoon, so supposing we say a few letters like this is the voice of labor. WCFL, Chicago. Oh, I guess I see what you're going to do be a studio announcer. You've got to be able to come up with things like that. Quickies, huh? Oh, I get it. Should have taken longer, though, Fred. I'm still chewing. Here we go in the sixth inning. Galanis bat started off for the Cubs. And the first pitch is too low. It's ball one. One ball on Galan. White Sox leading three to one. Augie swings the next. It's a high fly in the center field. Rosenthal's going back. And he's under it now. Has it. It's one out of the sixth inning. One out of the sixth inning for the Cubs. And Cabaretta is at bat. You know, Cabaretta upset the plate. Yeah, Mr. Rosenthal was throwing divots as he raced back for that one. Stopped up. Stratton throws the first one, and Phil swings at a high one, tried to get around on it, but he topped it and hit it down toward the first base coach's box, where Johnny Corden gets, throws it back to the pitcher. It's one strike on Cabaretta. That with one out for the Cubs in the sixth inning. Stratton throws again, and Phil takes the curve ball inside and low. The ball bounced into the air out of the catcher's glove. Landed out in front of the plate. And the pitcher winds up once more, throws the hitter, swings, and follows the ball back to the screen. And it's one and two, one ball and two strikes. One and two now with the pitcher ready again. Winds up. Throws. And Phil lines the ball into center field for a base hit. A single to center field by Cabaretta, putting him on first base with nobody out in the sixth inning. And Billy Herman up there at the plate. Billy who hasn't had a base hit in the series so far. And who had a terrific slump at the end of the season, making only about two hits in his last five or six games. Herman at that. One out of the sixth inning. Cabaret on first base. Score three to one in favor of the White Sox. 
And Herman takes the first pitch in by his shoulders for ball one. One ball called. Ready again. Throws for a strike. A beauty over the heart of the plate. Just about to let her high and the hitter let it go by. So it's one and one. One and one is the count. And there is a ball wide and low, making it two balls and one strike on Billy Herman. Two and one. Once again, the pitch is ready. He throws and the hitter swings a high foul coming back toward us. Lands just in front of us in the second. <laughs> Van caught it there and the force is catching it. Landed him kerplunk back in his chair there. And it's two and two on Billy Hammond. Two balls and two strikes. Outfield is playing him fairly deep. A little bit to the right. Haas is playing him pretty well toward the line. And Rosenthal a little bit toward right center. And the next one, Herman... Tried to get away from it, but the ball curved in and hit him on the right wrist, the right hand. Charlie Grimm comes tearing in from the coach's box and apparently hurt him pretty much. And Luke Sewell bends over him. Stratton comes in to take a look. And the trainer, Andy Lodshaw, comes running in. Woody Ingus, the captain, running out of the bench up there at the plate. That ball seemed to sail as it got up there at the plate. Here comes Doc Davis now, the club physician. Well, they'll have a real delegation up there. And Herman shows any signs of being hurt that way. You can count on it. He's plenty hurt because he's one of these boys that doesn't show much in the way of emotion when he gets bumped or cut or anything else. And that ball seemed to hang out there in front of him. He started to step one way and then another, and then it shot in toward him and hit him. Doc Davis is now working on his wrist to see whether it might possibly be fractured or if he can see any signs of it, he'll go right out of there. And uh, they're all standing around. In the meantime, Cabaretta had gone to second base. And is standing out there talking to Appling. Hayes also there. Herman walks away from the crowd and stands there and leans over on his knee. Charlie Grimm talking to him, telling him if he doesn't feel all right to get out of there. And Billy probably wants to stay in. Stratton starts back to the mound to throw a few to Sewell. Keep loosened up there while the rest of the boys still gather around. Jimmy Dykes, the manager of the Sox, is also up there. Taking a big look, and Benura's in there also. Herman finally decides to go on down to first base. That right arm is hanging alongside him. He walks down there, but he gets a nice hand. Benura walking alongside of him, the two of them talking. But he finally reaches first base. And the next man up there is Frank Demery. Now the White Sox start a couple of pitches warming up in the bullpen. Kane and the inevitable Mr. Brown warming up out there. And here is Demery at bat. Hub runners on first and second. One out in the sixth inning. And Demery hits the first one. A line drive to Hayes. who gets it. Throws back to Benora for a double play. A line smash. Right into Hayes' hands. He didn't have to move out of his sack to get it. And a quick throw to first base. Doubles Herman and ends the threat 
just like that. Bang, without any delay at all at all. It's no runs, one hit, one man left on base in the first half of the sixth inning. And the score is still 3-1 to one in favor of the White Sox. White Sox is bad in the last half of the sixth with Benora the first man up there. Benora the first man at bat. That ball was really tagged. That's the kind of a ball that all the New York riders cry about every time DiMaggio hits one and it gets caught. Always a foot to the right or a foot to the left, and it would have been a two-base hit. Trouble is, a foot to the right or a foot to the left doesn't mean a thing if you hit it right at somebody. Willie English is going in to play second base now, and Billy Herman tried to throw a ball, couldn't control it, and is walking off. English is playing second base. That injury was just too much for Billy. And Herman gets a hand as he walks off the field. Jawanicki out there gets his time, starts throws, and the hitter hits the ball right to a good hard line single. That ball all but back right up. Jawanicki is going with the Brian, and the first base with nobody out of the White Sox for the White Sox. The White Sox, league leading hitter, major league leading hitter, shortstop, right handed hitter is the best. Nora on first base, happening up there at the plate with nobody out of the sixth inning. Jawanicki ready, pitches. And Halfling drives the ball into right field for another base hit. Right fielder Demery grabs the ball, fumbles it, but picks it up again. And Benora turns and goes back to second base. And it's Halfling's second hit of the game and third hit of the series. So the White Sox have runners on first and second. Nobody up. And Jackie Hayes is up there at the plate. Boy, who has done great work the latter part of the season. And uh, proves... At least he's justified things I said about him for three, four years when he really had his chance and got in there and could bear down what a second baseman and tough hitter he is. Although not only tough this year, he hit 312 for the season, which is a lot of hitting. Comes again, starts Henshaw warming up and uh, Root. Henshaw and Root warming up in the right field bullpen. And the Sox are keeping a pitcher warmed up down their side of the field. Kane. And now Hayes bunts the first one. Hack gets it, throws the first. English getting over there to take the throw on the sacrifice. And it moves the runners to second and third. With only one out of the sixth inning. And Jimmy Dyke, always dangerous in a pinch, is up there at the plate. Now we have one of those tough pitchers in the pinch against a tough hitter in the pinch. And we'll see what happens. The infield playing in partway to the infield grass, not all the way. And they're going to walk Dyke and take a chance on Sewell. And walk Dykes on purpose. It isn't so much to take a chance on Sewell as it is to get the bases full where force plays are possible. As it is now, there's no chance of a force play. And so they want to get those bases full for that reason and gamble on that proposition. There's the fourth ball, and Dykes got the base on <laughs> He took the fourth one wide. Gabby started to throw the ball to third as Dykes walked across in front of him. He didn't intend to, and so Dykes turned around and acted as though he was going to be real mad at Gabby and as he swung the bat back of him to throw it to the bat boy, he swung it right across in front of Leo, and that caused a laugh from everybody. Now the bases are full with one out in the sixth inning, and Luke Sewell, another dangerous boy with the bases occupied out there, takes the first pitch inside and low for a ball. The infielders have moved back. That is the second baseman and shortstop move back. First and third baseman still in fairly close. He winds up once more, throws, 
And the hitter hits the beauty into center field for a base hit. And Galan raced over to get it. One run in, second run scoring. Dyke pulling up at third base. And the shot single to center field by Duell. Scores Benura. Scores Appling. And puts Dyke on third base. So the White Sox have runners on first and third. One out. Two runs home in the sixth inning. They're now leading the Cubs by a score of 5-1, to one, the same score by which they won yesterday. And Monty Stratton, White Sox pitcher, is coming up there to the plate. Stratton at bat. Oh, old Lucius Luke, same way as he did all through the season. When there were runs out there to score, you could almost always count on Stool getting a hold of one, hitting it somewhere. Stratton hits the first pitch, the drive in the left field for another base hit. Gill is coming down there, the runner for first going for third. Gill gets the ball, throws it into third base. The runner bound slides in, and the ball bounds out that past third base. Jurgis gets over there, gets it, but Stratton slides into second base. The ball bounded and hit the runner as he slid into third. And then as Hack stood there looking for it, Stratton tore for second. Jurgis had to come all the way over to get the ball and throw it to second base. And as a result, the runners are on second and third with another run home. And Mr. Stratton still appearing as a base hitter of considerable worth and merit, as he did in that last game of the season. George, did you notice whether they called an error on that throw-in or not? Did anybody look up to see? And now, Henshaw. On who? Aaron Hack, for heaven's sake, they call Aaron Hack, and he never had the ball in his hands. How do you figure that out? Well, that's all right. Henshaw is coming in now into the infield to leave Warnicky. And Lon turns and starts over to the dugout. And Henshaw, Little Roy, who is a South Sider, lived out here in this part of town and went to school out here at the University of Chicago, is now pitching for the Cubs. White Sox have three runs home, one out, still have runners on second and third. And Ratcliffe is the next hitter, Henshaw, finishing the... Warm up, bases Radcliffe now. Radcliffe up there. Henshaw starts to wind up, throws, and it's a bad, bad ball. Wide and low for ball one. Waits out there again, winds up once more. And there's ball two, another ball that breaks too wide, and the count is two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes. Waiting there for the next sign. Has it. He winds up. And pitches for ball three. Another ball that curves all together too wide and low. And it's three and nothing. Now, in addition to the fact that uh, stopped warming up and Bryant is warming up for the Cubs. Henshaw. Gets his sign. Winds up again. Throws, and the hitter takes strike one. It's over the heart of the plate, just a little below the weight. Two run the count to three and one. Three balls and one strike. 
And ball four comes by wide and low. Ratcliffe gets the base on balls and the bases are full. Rosenthal up there now. Rosenthal at bat. Already the leading leader, uh, leading hitter of the series and robbed one hit a little while ago on a good feeling play. Made two hits so far today, two yesterday. Larry Rosenthal at bat. And the first hit curves pretty wide and low for ball one. Coming up there at the plate and then curved very sharply and way outside. So it's one ball called. Hinshaw waits out there again, gets the sign, winds up. Throws for a strike over the inside corner waist high to make the count one ball and one strike on Rosenthal. One and one the count. Hinshaw winds up again, pitches the hitter, follows the ball above and to the left of the plate into the second deck, and it's one and two. One ball and two strikes on Rosenthal. One and two the count. Waiting out there again. Takes quite a while. Finally starts to wind up. Throws and Larry swings hit a ball hard down to Cabrera who grabs for it. And it bounds away from him and gets back to English who throws the first to get the runner. But the runner is safe. Cabrera, after fumbling the ball, started after it. But English waved him back to first. And by the time he got back there, the runner is safe. And it charged as another error for Cabrera who missed tagging the bag. That rule is definitely covered. When a man fails to tag a base, why, he is charged with an error. And now here is Mule Hossapat. Hoss up there at the plate. Pitch for a ball wide, base is still full. Winds up again, throws, and it's a wide one low for ball two, and Hartner turns around, speaks a little piece about that one. One total this inning, White Sox now leading seven to one. Jurgis comes over and talks to Henshaw for a moment. Roy throws again, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate about knee high, and Newell naturally playing the string out of ways, let it go by. So it's two and one. Infield playing in very close. Base is full. Only one out, four runs home in the sixth. And Shaw again winding up throws, and it's very wide and low for ball three. Way, way outside, and it's three balls and one strike. Three and one on Hart. Henshaw waiting out there again. Winds up. Throws and Mule gets ball four. It's wide and a run is forced across the plate. The run is forced home as Hart walks. He's fifth run of the inning. And the White Sox lead 8-1. And English walks in to talk to Harton at a moment. And looks over towards the bench as all we may expect Bryant to come in there. Base is still full. Five runs home in the sixth inning. English is talking to a player on the feet who turns to tell the field announcer what to announce. 
And the pitcher starts in from the right field bullpen. Hartnett's out there talking to Henshaw, leaning on his shoulder. Roy just, frankly, he had a curveball breaking off today. It was just about as tough a looking curveball as I've looked at for a long time. But he didn't have control of it. And Henshaw is one of these type of young pitchers that if the control isn't there, he doesn't have much chance of going anywhere. He had that ball breaking a foot to a foot and a half many times, never less than six or eight inches, and breaking a little bit too far away from the plate. As a result, he was in the hole most of the time and ended up by walking that man to force in a run. However, there was a chance of his being out of the inning if Cabrera had fielded the ball hit right at him. He wasn't charged with an error on that, but he was charged with an error when he failed to touch first after taking throwback of the play of the ball from English. Now Clay Bryant, big husky right-handed pitcher, is out there on the mound finishing his warm-up. Finishes the warm-up and is ready now as Zeke Benora steps up at the plate. Play takes a look around, see where everybody's playing out there. Now gets ready to pitch the first one to Benora. Winds up and throws, and Zeke takes the curveball wide for ball one. One ball called. Ready again, starts to wind up, throws, and it's ball two. It's over the plate, but too low, and the count is two and nothing on Venura. Two and nothing is the count, but the pitcher ready again. And they're watching the plate, got his sign, he's winding up. And throws, and Zeke jumps back to take the third ball, a bad one, and he may walk the fourth in another run. The count. And the next one comes down the middle for a strike. Oh, oh, oh. Zeke put on a big act that time. Started for first base. The ball was cut the heart of the plate waist high. Couldn't have been more of a strike anyway. It's three and one, three balls and one strike on Bonora. Bryant rubbing up the ball again. And ball four comes inside and Zeke also gets a base on ball. And another run is forced across the plate. Sixth run of the inning. Bringing Luke Appling to bat. With the White Sox leading now by a score of nine to one in the sixth inning. White Sox leading 9-1. I guess they saw what the Yankees did down there in New York and decided they had to put on a big inning, too, huh? Luke Appling up there. Bryant starts to wind up. Throws, and Luke takes a high one inside for ball one. A slow ball, change of pace. Root is warming up now for the Cubs again. Winding up, throws once more, and it's a strike. Curveball breaking away from the hitter. Caught the inside corner above waist high to make it one and one.
One and one. If there is the next one, a beauty in the left center for a base hit. Two more runs are scoring. The runner for first, going for third, and Gill's throw is very wide. By the time Hack recovers it, Appling has raced to second. Ryan singled left center by Appling, scoring Rosenthal and Haas. With two more runs. Eight runs this inning. White Sox now leading by a score of 11 to 1. And they still have runners on second and third. With only one out, the one out being a sacrifice by Hayes, who was not that earlier in the inning. Infield still playing back as Jackie takes the first pitch for a strike. Over the heart of the plate, waist high. And there's the ball, making the count one ball and one strike on Hayes. One and one the count. Bryant winds up, throws again. Jackie swings in a high bounder. Bryant gets it. The runners hold their bases, so he throws the first, getting Hayes for the second out. Making it two out of the seventh inning and bringing Dykes to bat. Dykes up there at the plate. Dykes was walked purposely with runners on second and third earlier in the inning. But that strategy didn't work when Mr. Stool stepped up there and smacked one. And Dykes hit the foul down to Billy Webb, coaching at third. He grabs it, throws it out the hack. Goes on around the cut infield, which still seems to be showing a lot of fire, although they're way, way behind right now. Lines up, throws again, and Dyke takes a throw on the curve, ball wide for ball one, and the count is one ball and one strike. One and one the count. Ryan throws again, and Dyke falls down under one that almost hit him in the shoulders, and he takes it for ball two. So the count is two balls and one strike. Two and one on Dyke. Ready once more, starts to wind up, throws, and it's a ball that hits the bat and hits the ground and then bounded ball fair over to stand to the right of the plate. It's still two and two. Two balls and two strikes. Bryant waits there, rubbing up that ball pretty carefully. Finally starts his wind up and throws and dikes. <laughs> Dykes <laughs> did the same thing that time he did before, and he looked at the bat, and he looked at the plate, and he said, I couldn't do it again if I tried. He starts to swing, and then as he pulls back, he doesn't pull back quick enough, the bat hits, the ball hits the bat and bounds down onto the plate, and then caroms clear over to the right against the stand. Two and two, and there's ball three. It's inside across the waist, and they get three balls and two strikes on Jimmy Dykes. Three and two, the count. Three and two now. Throws again, and it's ball four wide, and Dyke gets his second walk of the inning. Once more filling the bases for Mrs. Luce, Mr. Lucius Luke Steele. Mr. Steele is up there again of the Ohio, but formerly of the Alabama Steels. He singled with the bases full earlier in the inning to drive in the first two of these eight runs that have scored. 
White Sox are leading 11 to 1 in the last top of the six. And Sewell takes the first pitch, a curve ball wide and low for ball one. Wait there again, has the sign, he's winding up. Throws, and Sewell swings it a pop for a try, which English is calling for. He has it, it's three out, and they finally retire the side. And of course, the White Sox fans come up with a big howl because they've been waiting for this all year, in fact, for several years. Very several. In the last half of the sixth inning, for eight runs. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five, six, two hours, and three. And the score is 11 to 1 in favor of the White Sox at the end of the sixth inning. First man at bat for the Cubs in the seventh will be Hack. And now Mr. Stratton doesn't have a very difficult job. Get one more bite of his dog down here. Hey, some of the Cubs fans are spinning. They're standing up. This isn't a hot dog now. It's an ice dog. <laughs> Gill. 
Sutton wakes up there, slaps the ball into the glove a couple of times, uses the rising bag, steps up on the slab, swings around, ready to pitch. Pitches, and it's a high one wide for ball two, making the count two balls and one strike. Two and one is the count. Out there again, he throws, and Gill hits a long drive away out deep right field, but it's foul. Foul against the right field wall. Wouldn't have gone in, but it was outside by several feet. And it's two balls and two strikes on Gill. Husky, left-handed hitter. Sutton used the rising bag, has another ball to pitch. He's ready once again, swings around to get the sign. And pitches, and Gill swings it, a pop foul to the left of the plate. Sewell is over there waiting for it, has it, and it's two out of the seventh inning. Jurgis up there now, two out of the seventh inning for the Cubs. Allen running for Hartnett, still on first base. Score, 11 to 1. Favor the White Sox. Throws and Jerk takes a strike over the outside corner about waist high. One strike on Jurgis. Ready out there again. Throws and he brings in a high fly to short center field. Hayes is going back. Rosenthal coming in. And Jackie lets Larry come on in to make the catch after a long run for the third out. And it ends the first half of the seventh inning with no run, one hit, one man left on base. And now the White Sox crowd, which is by far the biggest percentage of this audience today, steps up for it. Seventh inning stretch. And what a few cheers and yells. They get the old kinks out of the legs as the White Sox come in there to take their turn at bat. In the last half of the seventh inning, with Marty Stratton, the first man up. Stratton, who, as I said, in the latter part of the season, last couple of day, games hit very well and has hit hard today. Only a great play robbed him of a base hit in the fifth, and then he hit one in the sixth and hit it plenty hard to drive in a run, and he later scored one himself. Ken O'Day is now out there to catch for the Cubs. And the first man at bat in the seventh inning is Monty Stratton. And you, were you uh, saying you wanted to say something, Mr. Fowler? Yes, Al Cotton. All I'd like to say is this is the voice of labor. WCFL, Chicago. Well, if that's what you want to say, that's perfectly okay. I don't know why you shouldn't say it. In fact, you didn't say it. Here's Stratton at bat, starts the last half of the seventh. He swings hard and misses the first one for a strike. One strike on Stratton. Bryant waiting out there again, has the sign, starts to wind up. And pitches and Monty swings in a high fly and it's left center. The land is jogging in under it. He's waiting, has it, and it's one out in the seventh inning for the stop. One out in the seventh, and Rip Ratcliffe, White Sox left fielder, is up there at the plate. Ratcliffe at bat.
winds up, throws the first one, and the ripper takes a wide one across the waist for ball one. One ball called. Ready once more, winds up again, throws, and it's a strike over the outside corner above the knees, so the count is one ball and one strike on Radcliffe. One and one the count. Ryan again taking that swinging wind up, throws a slow one which ripplets float wide and low, a curve ball for ball two. And it's two balls and one strike on the ripper. Two and one the count. Winds up, throws again for ball three wide across the waist, and it's three balls and one strike on Radcliffe. Three and one. Ready out there, winds up, throws again, and it's a strike over the outside corner across the knees to make it three and two. Three balls and two strikes on Radcliffe. Three and two to count. Swings again to hit a bounder. English is in front of it, gets it, throws the first, and it's two out of the seventh inning. Two out of the seventh inning for the Sox. And Larry Rosenthal again is at bat. He's made four hits and eight times at bat in the series. Hassling has four hits and six times a pass, so he's now the league's leading here, the senior series leading hitter. And here's the first pitch to Rosenthal to take the wide one across the way for ball for a strike. Caught the outside corner at that. No, it was a ball. I looked at the board. I didn't see the umpire's hand go up and the board showed a strike. But they changed it to a ball. So it's ball one. And there's ball two wide across the waist, making it two and nothing, two balls and no strikes on Rosenthal. When nothing is accomplished, ready again, winds up, throws, and Larry swings and misses a curveball, a slow curve for strike one, making it two balls and one strike. on ball. Put him on first base with two outs in the 
Seventh inning on Mule Haas is at bat. Haas up there at the plate. Brian has the sign. He's ready. It's at first base. Throws on the header. Takes the ball. It's inside and low. Day comes up with it ready. Springer and Rosenthal, a fast man, might be on the way or have a big lead. And, of course, the rumor still is naturally over in this league, same as in the National, that he's throwing isn't all it should be, perhaps. Still watching first base. Throws on the header, takes a wide one across the knees for ball two. And the count is two and nothing, two balls and no strikes on hard. Two and nothing to count. There's a sign out there again. And pitches and it's ball three. Well, it's wide across the waist. Nowadays, suddenly looks at the ball after another one, and without further ado, umpire Orangely hands it to him. Throwing the other one out and into over to the Sox bench without even examining it, and the count is three and nothing. Three balls and no strikes. Three balls and no strikes. It's ready out there again. Throws. And it's a high one wide for ball four. And Hart also gets a base on ball. Moving Rosenthal to second base. And the White Sox have runners on first and second. Two out of the seventh inning. And Zeke Manura is at bat. Manura up there at the plate. Out there, wipes his hands dry, swings around the flat. Pitch is so close to Zeke, he has to almost fall down to get away from it and take it for ball one. Well, Dave grabs the ball, throws it back out there to the pitcher, and Bryant waits there again. Swings around on the rubber, looks back at second pitches, and it's ball two. It's inside and low. Bryant's control is ordinarily pretty good, but it certainly isn't out there today. He walks a couple men in his six. In the sixth inning, and now he's walked two already in the seventh. As runners on first and second with two out. White Sox leading 11 to 1. Ryan throws again, and it's a strike. It got the outside corner across the shoulders to make it two balls and one strike. Run one is the count. And Zeke swings in a high fly foul to the right of the plate. O'Day is jogging down there, calling for the ball. Has it. And it's three out, ending. The seventh inning, no runs, no hits, two men left on base for the White Sox. And at the end of the seventh inning, the White Sox are leading the Cubs by a score of 11 to 1. A rather overwhelming margin in any man's league. Now somebody's going to come to bat in place. Lillard coming to bat in place of Bryant. In the last half of the seventh inning. Or rather, the first half of the eighth inning. I still, it's hard to figure a Chicago team is up to start an inning. I don't know. When you talk about Cubs or White Sox, you always figure them the second team at bat. Start of the eighth inning. Willard is batting for Bryant.
Right-handed hitter steps up there to the plate. And Stratton's first pitch is inside and low for ball one. One ball called. Bonnie winds up again, throws, and the hitter takes a strike over the inside corner way side. And the count is one ball and one strike on Lillard. One and one the count. Ball two, a curve ball very wide and low, runs the count. Two and one, two balls and one strike. Frank gets the sign again, winds up, throws, and Gene swings it a slow bounder down the third baseline. Dykes comes in nicely and fires the ball across the infield with Benura digging it out of the dirt and hanging onto it for the first out in the eighth inning. One out in the eighth inning for the Cubs. And Augie Galan, leadoff man and center fielder, steps up there to the plate. Galan is back. One of the warm-up balls in the dark bullpen. Somehow or other got clear off the back of some shortstop position in left field, so they had to call time while Halfling went back to get it and throw it over to the warm-up catcher there. Now Galan watches the first pitch come over the outside corner a little above the knees for strike one. One strike to count. Winds up again, throws, and it's a slow one that slips inside and low for ball one. Make the count one ball and one strike on Galan. One and one the count. Throws once more, and Augie gets the ball two wide and low. So it's two balls and one strike. Two and one with the pitcher ready again. Waits out there for the sign. He has it. He's winding up. Throws, and Augie gets the third ball wide. And it's three balls and one strike on Galan. Three and one. Stratton winding up, throws again, and Augie gets the second strike. It's over the outside corner, waist high, and Augie, who made the usual start, first comes back to the plate. And one, three and two, rather, and Galan swings at an easy powder out to Hayes, who gets it on the second half, throws the first, and Augie is out for the second out of the eighth inning. Two out of the eighth inning for the Cubs, and Cabaretta is up there at the plate. Cabrera swings and drives the ball into center field for another base hit. His second hit of the game. And it puts Phil on first base with two out in the eighth inning. And Woody English up there. Woody who replaced Billy Herman after Herman was hit in the right arm or wrist with a pitch ball. Throws the first one, and Woody gets a good strike. It's over the heart of the plate, a little above the knees. One strike on English. Ready once more. Throws, and Woody takes a wide one. The catcher throws the ball to first, but Cabaretta went back standing up, leading a throw. He was all ready to slide, but he saw that Sewell's throw was a little bit low and outside the bag, so he came in standing up. It's one and one, one ball and one strike on English. And he hits the next for a high foul down the right field line and back into the stands. Cabrera was around second base, but he turns and strolls back to first. Quite a scramble for that ball down there in the stands. One and three to count, one ball and two strikes. 
And Woody started for the next one, but stopped and pulled back to take it inside across the waist for the second ball. And makes it two balls and two strikes on Woody English. The pass for the Cubs in the eighth inning with two out. Cabaret on first base. White Sox leading 11 to 1. Sutton ready again, throws, and it's ball three high and inside. Run the count of three and two on Elliott. Three balls and two strikes. Sutton rubs the ball up a little bit, then walks back onto the rubber. He's ready to pitch once more. With a runner on the go on the three and two count, the hitter hits another foul. One of the fans. Oh, one of the fans missed the ball over there and it bounded out of his hand, started bounding along the front, just under the railing, just before it dropped over. Some other fan managed to grab it and keep it upstairs. Three and two is the count, but you're ready again. Rolls, and English hits a high fly in the right field, hop and going back under it, still going back, and grabs it and hit his glove and bounds over against the stand. English pulls up at second base, and Cavaretti is scoring. And it's a long two-base hit to the base of the wall in right field. Hart seemed undecided for a moment. And then when he did start going back, as hard as he could go, he couldn't quite reach it. And it hit his glove. So a real old boyfriend from Everest, George. I think that's the moment I... Isn't it? No. That's the thing. Don't you open the door, I can tell which one it was. <laughs> Give him that to whistle, as usual. And now Demery at bat takes the first one for a strike over the outside corner about knee high. One strike count. Going now 11 to 2 in favor of the White Sox. English on second base, two out, one run home, and Demery takes the ball wide, and the count is one and one. One ball and one strike on Demery. Side swings around, ready once more, throws. And Frank hits a pop fly out, back of Appling. Lucas back in the grass, calling for the ball. He has it, and it's three out in the eighth inning. One run, two hits, one man left on base. In the first half of the eighth inning, for the Cubs. And going into the last half of the eighth, the score is 11 to 2 in favor of the White Sox. Charlie Root, veteran right-hander of the Cubs, is walking in to resume the pitching chores, and Charlie Grimm is waiting out there. Charlie gets a hand from the fans of Pisa now. on the bat watching him. He'll be the first man to face him. This is by far not Charlie Root's first City Series game. Charlie finishes the warm-up and Luke steps up there to the plate. Helping it back to start the last half of the eighth inning. Starts to wind up. Throws. 
And Luke jumps back to take a ball inside and low for ball one. One ball call. Winding up the gun pitches. Appling hits an easy bounder off back at Root, who gets it, throws the first, and Appling is out for the first out in the eighth inning. One out in the eighth inning for the White Sox, and Jackie Hayes is at bat. Winds up and throws, and Jackie swings it a high fly out into center field, and Golan racing in makes the catch for the second out. He had to go pretty well over toward right center to make that catch on the run, and it's two out in the eighth inning with Jimmy Dykes now at bat. Gets the time, starts to wind up, throws, and Dyke swings and misses the curveball for strike one. One strike on Jim. One strike to count, but you're ready out there once more. Takes the time, gets the time, starts to wind up, throws, and it's a wide one across the waist for a ball, making it one and one strike on Dyke. And there's a strike over the heart of the plate, waste time, making it one and two. One ball and two strikes on Jim. One and two the count. And the hitter swings the next one. The hitter slow bounded on the third baseline. Hack comes in, makes a one-handed pickup, throws the first, and as Cavaretta dug the ball up in front of the runner, Jimmy almost knocked him over, and he beats it out for a base hit. Dykes is on first base, two out in the eighth inning, and Sewell is at bat. He takes the first one for a ball, and Root walks back onto the mound again. And the hitter hits the next one, a drive in the center field, but Galan is waiting for it out there, has it. And it's three out, ending the eighth inning with no runs, one hit, and one man left on base for the White Sox. And at the end of the eighth inning, the White Sox are leading the Cubs by a score of 11 to 2. Sutton's out there now, getting ready to pitch the ninth inning, which should be the last half inning, judging the way things are going and the way he's been going, which is in good shape. Ninth inning for the Cubs. Bratton stands there getting his sign. 
Rolls on it to strike over the heart of the plate about knee high. One strike on Heck. And there's a ball inside and low. So the count is one ball and one strike on Stan. One and one the count. And he swings again to ball one into the stand to the left of the plate. One ball and two strikes on Heck. One and two the count. That winding up throws again and Hack takes a high one wide for ball two. And it makes it two balls and two strikes on Stan. Two and two is the count. And a hitter hits the next one, a bounder back over the pitcher's head. It goes through into center field for a base hit. Single to center field by Hack, putting him on first base to open the ninth inning and bringing Ken O'Day who has taken over the catching chores, then Tardet gave way to a pinch runner in the seventh. Ken O'Day at bat. Stratton ready, throws the first one, and O'Day takes the curve ball inside and low for ball one. One ball called. Throws the next one, and Ken swings it, a bonner down to Hayes, who gets it, throws the second base. Appling throw to first is too late to get the runner there. And Hack is forced at second to play, going Hayes to Appling for the first out in the ninth inning, leaving O'Day on first base with one out. And Johnny Gill is at bat. Gill up there at the plate. Gill at bat, but you're ready out there again. And the hitter swings the ball, this one, into the stand above and to the left of the plate. And it's one strike. One strike on Gill. It's ready out there once more. Throws. And Johnny falls this one back onto the net back of the plate. Right to the count with a pitcher waiting out there again. Johnny swings around. He gets his time. Throws. And it's a ball that gets away from Sewell Bonds out to the right, but not far enough to let the runner advance. And so it's one and two still strikes. O'Day is on first base with one out of the ninth inning for the Cubs. White Sox leading 11-2. Finally has each side again, takes another look at first, and throws, and the hitter hits the ball hard into right field for a base hit. O'Day makes the turn at second, keeps right on for third. Hoff gets the ball and throws it in to second base. Single to right field by Gill. His second hit of the game. Moving O'Day to third. And bringing Bill Jurgis to bat. Jurgis up there at the plate. Jurgis, the line foul into the... Box seats down just beyond the dug dugout back of first base. Apparently everybody got out of the way of it before that ball went in there like a bullet. And it's one strike. And here it is, the next one to drive in the center field for a good clean base hit. One run is in, and Gill keeps right on and pulls up at third base. 
single to center field by Jurgis, and currently Charlie Grimm is going to bat now in place of Charlie Root. Jurgis single to center, scores O'Day. Comes third run of the game, making it 11 to 3. And Grimm is getting a hand from the fans as he walks out of the dugout. Some fans were letting their rapidness, getting a little bit the better of their sporting spirit, are uttering a few boos, and there's no need for such a thing. Grimm is up there batting now in place of Charlie Root. Of runners on first and third. And he hits the first one, an easy bounder back at Stratton, who gets it, throws hard to second base, and a throw to first, takes a double play, and the game is over. Bernard comes running in, throwing the ball into the air, and tearing for the bench, and it's a double play. The play going from Stratton to Appling to Benora for the second and third out, ending the ninth inning on the charts when 11-2. In the ninth, Cubs had one run, three hits, one man left on base. And the total for the ball game, White Sox had 11 runs, 9 hits, no errors. We have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 9 men left on the bases. The uh, Cubs had 3 runs. Let's see, they had 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 10 hits. And four errors with six men left on the bases. The time of the game, an hour and 58 minutes. The winning pitcher was Stratton, and the losing pitcher was Warnicky. The totals again, giving the White Sox two games to nothing lead in the City Series. White Sox had 11 runs, nine hits, no errors, with nine men left on the bases. Cubs had three runs, ten hits, four errors, and six men left on the bases. Time of the game, one hour and 58 minutes. The winning pitcher was Stratton. The losing pitcher, Warnicky. Tomorrow, the same two teams play here at Comiskey Park, also on Sunday. In the third and fourth games of the City Series. We won't be on the air with it tomorrow, will we, George? Because it seems that we got a little football to do out to... That good old Northwestern, you'll be uh, comforting my old pal uh, Dick Hanley, and in the next booth I'll be bearing down on one of our other stations. So, I mean, we'll have a lot of fun out there. But that concludes this broadcast. Tom DeMona is a little bit late today, but he got his whistle in just in time to get on the air. So, the final score today, 11-3. to 3. That means that the White Sox have won two games in a row. And tomorrow they're going to try to make it three while the Cubs have really got to come back tomorrow and do something. Fourth game on Sunday. We will be with you then, won't we? Okay, games at 2 o'clock tomorrow and Sunday, but that's all for now. So Al Cotton is speaking for George, old Uncle George and his pipe here, trying to bid you good afternoon from Comiskey Park and return to the studio. Bye now. WCFL in Chicago. Men, you'll save money by...
by only the best of ingredients. Their products are manufactured in the spick and span plant and they're packed in the big, white, red, and green packages with the patented inner wax pipe wrapper. Made fresh and kept fresh. Kellogg's Corn Flakes have that Kellogg flavor, which has been famous since 1906, the year that the original Corn Flakes were introduced. They're toasted to a Christmas that lasts. Try Kellogg's Corn Flakes for breakfast tomorrow. They are especially good with some preserved fruit or honey, and they're fine for that after-school lunch for the children. But when you go to your grocer's, always be sure. Never say Corn Flakes. Say Kellogg's. And now, here's Hal Totten. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tonight's the night the American leaguers say, I told you so. All you American League fans get busy and chortle. Because, well, because it was an American League day all the way down the line. Then our Yankees evened up the series with the Giants, and if there was any doubt about their evening it up, well, the score was 18 to 4. Of course, the last six of those eight runs were made in the ninth inning, but they were made. The Yankees had 18 runs, 17 hits, and no errors. To the Giants, four runs, five hits, and one error. The batteries for the Yankees, Gomez and Dickey. For the Giants, Schumacher, Smith, Kaufman, Gabler, Gumbert, and Mancuso. Here in Chicago, the White Sox made it to two straight over the Cubs. Winning also very decisively, 11-3. The White Sox had 11 runs, 9 hits, no errors. The Cubs, 3 runs, 10 hits, and 4 errors. The batteries for the White Sox, Stratton and Sewell. For the Cubs, Warnicky, Henshaw, Bryant, Root, and Hartnett for Dave. I don't know just what to say about those things. And yet, I guess I do. That Yankee game down there in New York, when the Yankee power really started to turn down the heat, more or less, we, or rather, should say, emphasize the fact that the Giants are really, in this series, one Carl Hopper. It's pretty hard to say at any time that a ball club is no stronger than any one man, but if Schumacher can't do it, and Smith couldn't stop them, then I don't know what they can expect in a case like this, for the simple reason that now Hubble has almost certainly got to come back tomorrow. There's a good chance he won't, that's true. There's a good chance somebody else, and he's a pretty good... But if Fitzsimmons pitches tomorrow, great chance for these Yankees turned on the heat today, he might very easily lose. Then Hubble comes back with a full three-day rest, and they can't very well use him again in the series. If Hubble tomorrow with two full days of rest, and here sometimes in a very down situation like this, you can do that, and although you'll find Hubble and others even doing it through this season, then if the Simmons might come back and do it, somebody else, maybe Schumacher, and between the two of them win one game, then Hubble gets another crack at him after two more days rest, and they might be back in there. You can't ever tell. So it looks as though it's on Hubble's shoulders and practically no one else. Here in Chicago, the collapse of the Cubs' defense has been probably even more startling than the collapse of the Cubs' much-heralded pitching staff. Because the pitching staff certainly hasn't held up, and yet, in yesterday's game in which Lee lost, the defense collapsed to start him on his way, and in today, the very first inning, the defense collapsed, and then the 
big eight-run sixth inning. The defense was also very poor. The Cubs coming up with four errors today, two in that inning, to make it just two bats. And in the first inning, it did. But when those White Sox hitters started to take cracks at Warnicky in the sixth inning, there was no known as two of the most dangerous hitting teams in the American League. Find this National League pitching not so very difficult after all, although, as I said, it is to be seen in the composite box scores of the two games play Yankee composite box score first. You find the Yankees as a team hitting 329 in two games, while the Giants as a team are hitting only 231. The strange part of it is that the fellows in health, fellows who have made hits in eight, three hits in eight, hitting three, six, four hits in nine, and four, forty-four. Ott with two hits and six trips is three thirty-three. Mancuso with two hits and five trips is four hundred. And Jackson is the only regular under three hundred, and he has one hit in eight times at that with one twenty-five. I mean by that the only regular who has made a hit. Hubble himself has an batting average of 500 with his two hits and four times at bat. And Davison, there's a pinch hitter today, made a hit to have a batting average of 1,000. But Moore has been held hitless in 10 times at bat, Lieber in four, Ripple in two, and Whitehead in seven. Now, compare that the fact that the Yankees find only one man who is engaged in either of these two games that hasn't made at least one hit. And that is Charlie Ruffing, the pitcher who pitched the opening game of the series and was shut out in three times at bat. In fact, he struck out two of those three times. So everybody in the lineup, including Gomez, the pitcher today, has had something to do in the batting line. Now, when you have the hitting running all the way up and down the line that way, it's pretty tough. The most sensational showing at bat so far in the, in the World Series is Jake Powell, fellow who really wasn't figured so seriously at the start. As a matter of fact, some people weren't sure that he would be regularly in there, although it was practically certain. But Powell, the boy who came from Washington in the deal for Ben Chapman this year, is hitting 7-14, just a mere 7-14. He's made five hits and seven times at bat and has gained a couple of walks. Other sensational averages, Rolf has three hits and seven times at bat, and Frank and Joe have four in nine times at bat. Other fellows are all below 300. And that leads me to say another thing. Two of the biggest guns of the Yankee attack have been held below 300. And they're not going to stay there, at least one of them. So in other words, they've won these, uh, this one game to even it up without the really serious services of Lou Gehrig, who has made two hits in eight times at bat, and Dickey, who has made two in nine times at bat, that they're almost bound to get before the series is over. The big shot today, of course, was Lazari, whose lone hit of the series, giving him an average of 143, happened to be a home run with the bases full, which is a lot of home run in any league. Gomez came up with a base hit, and so he's very happy tonight. The White Sox Cubs series, we find not quite as striking a situation, but still, still bad enough. The White Sox are hitting 231 as a team, with Appling topping the list, or rather tied with Rosenthal at the top of the list with four hits and eight times at bat. Each of them has a two-base hit. Dykes is third with uh, two hits and six times at bat with 333 average, and all the rest of them under 300. Stratton, the pitcher, made a hit 
today to have an average of 250. Kenora has one hit and six trips with 167. Radcliffe one hit and seven trips with 143. And Hayes and Sewell each have one hit and eight times at bat with 125. So their hitting hasn't been overpowering, but the cut pitching has been so bad and their defense so bad, their five errors in two games and 12 passes in two games, making it, they're giving the Sox an opportunity which they haven't overlooked. The cup batting average is only 209 as a team, which is not very good. The yeah, Giants, incidentally, are hitting 231 as a team, which ties the present White Sox. The uh, leader of the Cubs is Woody English, who has made one hit in his only appearance for a perfect average. But of those who have been in the game, in both games, Gill, making four hits and eight times at bat, has an average of 500. Hack, with two hits and six trips, has 333. Hartnett, with two hits and seven trips, 286. Cavaretta, with two hits and eight trips, 250. And then on down, Demery has only one hit and seven tries. Golan and Jurgis, one and eight. And the rest of them haven't hit. So you find the same weakness in the Cub team that the Giants are showing and the same strength in the Sox team that the Yanks are showing, and that is that everybody put in here has had something to do. Only two of the White Sox players haven't made at least one hit. Haas, who has been up six times, and Kennedy, the pitcher, who was up four times yesterday. Whereas, of the Cubs, Herman, Warnicky, Lillard, O'Day, Grimm, Lee, and Carlton, who have been a fan anywhere from one to five times, haven't made a base hit. Before we go any farther, I do want to remind you of one thing. And that is, remember what we said last night, the baseball player who won the Kellogg's uh, Most Valuable Player Contest will be announced on Monday night, the winner of the player winning the Pontiac Sedan. And then, if possible, Monday night, or if they haven't been able to figure through all the letters that by that time, at least within the next two or three days after Monday, the main prize winners of the fans who rode in will be announced. And also, every single person who voted in the contest is going to receive by mail a complete list of all the prize winners. And if you know how many thousand that involved, it would give you a big kick. The scoring today started in the very first inning here at Comiskey Park. Radcliffe, the leadoff man for the Sox, walked and went to second on Rosenthal's single. Haas laid down a bunt toward third base, and Warnicky went over there and got it with plenty of time to get Radcliffe at third base. He'd have had him by eight feet, but he had one of those things happen, like Cavaretta did yesterday, and threw the ball clear down to the canvas down the left field line with the result that both Radcliffe and Rosenthal were able to score, and Haas reached third. Warnicky looked like himself in striking out Benura and making Appling hit a ball toward Herman, but it was hit a little to Billy's right, rather hard hit, and caromed off Herman's glove for a scratch double, putting Haas across the plate. The Cubs got one of those back in the second inning with one out when Hack walked, went to second on Hartnett's scratch hit, and scored on Gill's single. The uh, big blow-up, however, came in the sixth inning, and after pitching great ball, allowing only one hit after the first inning, and that coming in the fifth, why Warnicky really was tagged, and tagged plenty. Benura opened the inning with a resounding single to center, Appling single to right, putting Benura on second. Hayes sacrificed the boys along. Dykes was purposely passed, filling the bases. Sewell single to center, as he so often does in a clinch, scoring Benura and Appling to third. And uh, then when the throw-in got away from Hack, Stratton went to second. After 
Chief Watson, and play which much a hard hit ball, a hard weight ball got away from Cavarette. In time to throw to Phil at first, but still get the position. Another run with the top horses. New pitcher came in, and then Appling singled the drive to end that big ball run. One in the eighth, when uh, second time, an English down, English step opened with a single, but was forced to rather by O'Day, who was in and there. O'Day went the third on Gill, single, and scored on Jersey Kick. That's all, though, and tomorrow they play the third game of the series. But, Port, you got something to say? You know, people often say the way to jolly and value is to look for the... We invite you to invite and just things as a patented feature that makes it easy going outside parking. Just a zip of your thumb and press door up off the lid. Inside, nothing to protect the flavor and freshness of the face. The wax tights are found only on Kellogg products. Open that. Then notice how uniform those delicious toasted for how perfect each one is. How wonderfully fresh and good they smell. Think perhaps, but they mean careful manufacturing and hot. The next time you buy a corn cake, get Kellogg and discover Kellogg presents Hal Totten with his inside story on baseball each day at this time except Sunday. The National Broadcasting Company, WENR, the voice of service in Chicago. At this time, we leave the air in favor of WLS.